Oh, man. I think we need to take out the garbage. It's starting to smell. Well, that's not the trash you're smelling. That's the DVDs I brought back from the dump. Oh, no. Don't tell me you brought back. That's right, Brad. We're gonna have a Mordecai party! No, we're not. Oh, come on! Can't you see it? We'll grow out our mustaches, Goya paintings everywhere, a cheese and shellfish buffet in the corner. It's not every day you get the chance to watch a movie this universally mocked. That's true. Fine, but I'm not doing any of the party stuff. Great! Just the mustaches in the movie, then. I'll fire up the DVD player. You start growing out your mustache. That's not what I meant. From Los Angeles, California, it's High On Film! Tonight, we've got Dave Byrne and Mordecai. It was a damn good try, old bean, on tonight's episode. Well, hello and welcome to another exciting episode of High on Film. I'm Chris Maxwell, your host from the coast. Last week, we put one foot into the wasteland that is January Dump Month 2015. Movies that the studios shunned and abandoned in the wasteland that is January release dates. Today, we're diving the rest of the way in with a true flop. $60 million budget. And a $47.2 million worldwide gross. That's right. It can only be Mordecai from 2015, directed by acclaimed screenwriter David Kep, written by Eric Aronson, based off the novel Don't Point That Thing at Me by Kyril Bonfiglioli. <laughs> Which I have been waiting to say that last name all day. Unfortunately, this movie did get shut out of any Razzie wins due to um, the most current Joshua Trank Fantastic Four and a little movie that we've covered on the podcast already called Fifty Shades of Grey. Though it is an acclaimed bad movie, it is not one of those that gets the awards. But, you know, sometimes that happens. Sometimes the best picture doesn't win the best picture award. More on that, we go to... The man right to my left, the co-host from the couch, the podcaster of disaster, but you may know him as the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Hello, Chris. Hello, Brad. How are you this fine day? I'm doing okay. <laughs> are we being more proper because this is an, a film in English accents? No, honestly, that was just my gut instinct to jump on like that, so. What a time to, to not do first impressions as a segment anymore, huh? <laughs> That is so true. That is a big time missed opportunity. Well, voices Johnny Depp puts on in this in this movie. Yeah, this could have been an accent uh, double feature instead. Do you think that the filmmakers looked at a Hercule Poirot film and said, "You know, there's a there's a wasted opportunity here for comedy." Potentially, I mean, I feel like uh, uh, Brana already went so far with the Hercule Poirot mustache in uh, Murder on the Orient Express, uh, went so over the top with it, unlike, you know, prior Poirot film adaptations. So, uh, but this definitely takes the cake as far as uh, a mustache being a focal point in a movie, I will say. So congratulations, Mordecai. Well, speaking of over the top, we always have a guest and this episode is no exception. A man whose viewing habits make him uniquely qualified to help us with this January dump. He's a high-on film veteran. I'm so excited to, to, to actually torture him with a movie once for once instead of him bringing a terrible movie to me. It's sound guy Dave Byrne. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, yeah, this, I mean, I know that I started my tenure at High On Film with the reputation that I was bringing you terrible movies. But like the last four have pretty much all been you guys. Double O Kid Brad brought to us, not- I take full credit for Double O Kid, no doubt about it. Mordecai is, this might be surprising to both yourselves and our loyal listeners at home, but I had not seen Mordecai before this episode. 
it seems like the kind of thing that I'd be there opening day, a line of four whole people waiting to see it. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, I, I must have been busy in January 2015. I can't imagine with what, but something got in the way of me seeing this in theaters and I will never forgive myself. But wow, this one, I mean, shoot, yeah, let's, let's get into it. <laughs> We're all just dying to talk about it. <laughs> we, we are. But before we go any further, maybe probably you haven't seen Mordecai. Uh, in that case, Brad and I have prepared a little trailer to uh, reintroduce or perhaps for the first time introduce you to this small little art heist film. Here it is. In the world of high art, if a crime is committed, you just know it's forgery. Am I interested? I'm, I'm, I'm wildly interested. So of course the police are gonna have to bring in an expert. Aren't you going to introduce us? Charlie Mordecai is a shifty art dealer who has a lot in common with Johnny Depp. Everyone knows you're broke. Why can't you invest in saving us from financial ruin? The fact that you're as drunk as a fiddler's bitch in no way obviates the fact that you very nearly caused an international incident. He'll traverse the globe in search of a Goya painting with his loyal manservant Jock like they were the Green Hornet and Kato. Right behind you as always, sir. To hunt down the original painting and weed out those who sought to steal it, he'll need the help of his resourceful wife, Joanna. I've asked for a Chardonnay. That is your drink, isn't it? Pour yourself an extra large glass of wine because the entire B-plot is she hates his new mustache. It looked... Like you have a vagina on your face. Surely you mean the pubic hair above a vagina. I feel as though we've made a wrong turn and arrived on the set of a pornographic film. Have we taken a wrong turn and arrived on the set of a pornographic film? Lionsgate Films presents a comedy, I guess. Someone's shooting out their bloody car. Someone's shooting at me. Somebody hates these cans. An all-star cast. Depp, Paltrow, McGregor, Goldblum, Bentney, Mudd. Where are you? In a terribly vulgar place called Los Angeles. Apparently no hidden far west colonies. Sophistication has a name. To the library chaps. Mordecai. That is disappointing. Very disappointing. Ooh, wow. Ooh, what a trail. The artistry in that trailer. Oh, that's the professional quality work I come to expect from High on Film. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And now it's time for Trash. Star. Destroy. That's right, it's Trash Star Destroy. We give you three movies of a similar ilk and we ask you to make the tough decisions. One movie you must trash, which means it's eliminated from existence. One movie you get to star in, in whatever role you'd like to take for yourself. And of course, then the third movie must be destroyed, which means that the only version of that film that has ever been created has been written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of Pearl Harbor fame. Let's get to it. Of course, this is January dump month. 2015. That's what we've been focusing on last week and this week. Uh, so let's do a trash charge story about that. We'll do last week's movie, Michael Mann's Black Hat. We'll do the movie we just watched, David Kep's Mordecai. And, oh, let's say Liam Neeson in Taken 3. Black Hat, Mordecai, Taken 3, Trash, Star, Destroy. Well, after watching Black Hat last week and... Not thoroughly enjoying that. There is a temptation to work with Michael Mann. I, I guess I'm going to star in Black Hat. I'm going to work with Michael Mann. I will take the, I'll take the role of uh, Holt McElhaney, uh, Jessup, the cop. Yeah, because I, I would like to work with Chris Hemsworth. That's fun. As much as I like that guy too, that's a role I could fill well enough. Not a lot of lines. I'm, you know hulkier guy it works you get to ask viola davis who she lost on 9 11 <laughs> that's that's on my bucket list so yes of course 
That's, <laughs> finally, we get to do that. It, it, the wish has finally come true. So I will. Uh, so I'm starring in that Mordecai or Taken Three. I, I think I gotta let Michael Bay do Mordecai. Taken Three <laughs> obviously makes so much sense for Michael Bay, but there is no way I can pass up the opportunity to let Michael Bay do Mordecai. I just can't do it. So that goes to Bay, and I'm trashing Taken Three. The Taken series ends there. Dave, what are you doing here? Um, so I am going to uh, I am going to trash Taken Three as well. Because honestly, how many takens do we need at this point? If you're a woman, just stay away from Liam Neeson. <laughs> Nothing good is going to happen to you. Well, isn't it taken uh, three? He gets taken. Well, he has to run from the government. Yeah, his wife gets killed in his bed, and he's like, "Oh, it's not me." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure, Liam. <laughs> it's just like how how many more warning signs do we need? Just stay away. Uh, from you know, Mister Taken, whatever his character name is in that, Mister um, Taken. John Taken. John Taken. That's it. That's a good one. I would detective John Taken. Oh man, that's a missed opportunity. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Send that to the trash. Let Michael Bay direct Black Hat, uh, because Michael Bay does terrible hacking scenes and in, in a bunch of different things uh, that I think are, over, like everything he does, overly dramatic, poorly lit, and go on way too long. So I feel like that would be perfect. That's like all the things that he loves to do is not make a boring thing interesting, but pretend that something really boring is fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Hand Michael Bay, Black Hat, which means that I am going to star in Mordecai. And uh, as a man with a perma beard that includes a mustache, uh, I think the obvious choice for me is to play Johanna Mordecai uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's character, who is disgusted by Mordecai's mustache, um, which I think would be funnier if he was kissing a man with a mustache. That that joke works better, I think, than it's really about his particular mustache. Dave, anything is funnier <laughs> than this movie. <laughs> yeah, and and also I would get to do this accent, and when people ask me what it is, I I, I would just it's a Mordecai accent. Thank you for making up for uh, our lack of first impressions. Well, you guys are just simply insane. I'm trashing Mordecai. I am trashing Mordecai. This unsuccessful film on all accounts. Not all accounts. I I have some reservations when I come to that. But I did not like this film whatsoever. I Blasphemy. I'm a completionist. What can I say? I want Taken 3 in existence. And the way that's going to work here is it's going to be directed by Mr. Michael Bay. That is destroyed. And I am starring in Black Hat. And I think I did this last week. I am taking Chris Hemsworth out of that film. And I will be Nick Hathaway. Star. MIT hacker turned convict. That's what I'm doing. Easy. Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. It's a good choice. Hard to argue with. All right, guys. We have time for one more Trash Star Destroy category. What am I saying? We always do. Let's do, uh, as I said earlier, uh, David Kep, the director of this film, is he's only directed a handful of films, but he has written some Hollywood classics, notably uh, Jurassic Park, uh, Mission Impossible, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, lots of good stuff here. So let's do three David Kep directed films for this category. We will do, um, we'll start from the, the, the most recent Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Premium Rush, the bike delivery movie. We'll do the Ricky Gervais Ghost Town, where he can see dead people. And, uh, oh, let's do the Stephen King adaptation, Secret Window, starring Mr. Johnny Depp. Premium Rush, Ghost Town, Secret Window, Trash Star Destroy. I think I am going to star in Ghost Town, and I'm going to take the Ricky Gervais role. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but I liked it at the time. I like that and um, The Invention of Lying. I like both of those movies that were Ricky Gervais films quite a bit whenever they, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. Um, but I I, uh, I like that role, you know, work with Greg Kinnear and... Kristen Wiig? Oh yeah, Kristen Wiig. That's right. I always confuse invention, the cast of, because I'm like, Jennifer Garner's Invention of Lying 
not Ghost World. Like, I really do mix up those movies just because they're both Ricky Gervais vehicles. But not Ghost World. That's a another movie. Or Ghost, Ghost Town. World's Thor Birch. Sorry. Yeah, Ghost, Ghost Town. Thor, Sorry. Which we talked about in All I Want for Christmas. Yes. Ghost Town. Sorry. Didn't mean to confuse that. Uh, so I'm going to start in Ghost Town. I will give Premium Rush to Bay. I'm kind of interested to see what he would do with just a biker action, like a guy on a bike for an action movie. I'm actually very intrigued by the limitations of that for him. I I think that could work to his advantage of being kind of locked into having to do something a little more, like he can't just have it all be car chases. So that I think would be a good move. And therefore I am trashing... Well, secret window. Secret window. Yeah, that's fine. I, you know, I, I never liked that movie a lot. There's a fun twist at the end that I think people latched onto more than anything else. But it's, you know, an okay movie. It, we're fine letting it go. Yeah, you know, I, I'm with you on giving Michael Bay premium rush. I think it would be really cool to see him do a real smaller budget, low stakes action movie. Like no car. Well, you get the cars on the road, but your your uh, your main character is on a bicycle, and he has to deliver something in time. I actually haven't seen this movie. I think it's fun to make fun of it because it's just a bicycle movie. But I would love to see you, Michael Bay, attempt it. Uh, here's where I differ from you. I'm gonna star in Secret Window because let's get Johnny Depp out of there, and then I get to be in a Stephen King adaptation, mm. and I get to know David Kep. I guess I would in any of these movies, but that's a nice plus for it anyway. And I would love that. You're just concerned with paving your way to eventually get to Mordecai and you don't want to admit it. That's well, you're putting well, building blocks down so that years later you get called for Mordecai. Listen, if starring in secret window, I can take on greater movie roles that do unfortunately eventually lead to Mordecai. I would take that. I would take that monkey's paw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I'm going to trash ghost town because I do. I I'm fine with Ghost Town. I think it's a little underbaked, and I much prefer Invention of Lying. So I am fine to trash Ghost Town. I agree. Invention of Lying is a better movie. Atheistic uh, themes, I think. Right? Mm-hmm. Ghost Town is just like an anti love story. It's yeah. Just, he keeps be nice to people. Right. He just starts seeing ghosts, and he, he it, it it almost had like a Christmas Carol type feel to me, or something. Like it's been a long time. You're visited by ghosts until you become a better person. Pretty much. Invention of Lying is a very smart movie, though. Dave, what are you doing with these three? Okay, so um, I am going to trash Secret Window. Um, I haven't seen it. Uh, I watched the trailer for it. And yeah, I go, you know, we'll still have Lawnmower Man, which is a fantastic movie made out of uh, a Stephen King short story, which... Call me sometime. Let's do that. Um, that means I, as someone who once uh, commuted back and forth to work on a bicycle in New York City, <laughs> I think I would bring a lot of real life experience. Uh, I, I've got a sense memory to draw on for Premium Rush. Somewhere I wrote down the name of this actress, but uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's uh, love interest uh, in that movie is like a very tiny petite woman um which again only know from the trailer have not seen the movie uh and that's who i would play i think that would be fun tanya ramirez i believe is who you're talking about thank you anyway uh that leaves which i think in a crazy way i think this is the obvious choice ghost town seems like it's a michael bay kind of story he loves that ayn rand something happened to me and now i'm special and i need to I have a mission. The all spark fell out of a thing and now it's mine. You know, I, I happened to be the, I got assigned to the USS whatever. And what's this base called? Pearl Harbor? Never heard of it. Like that seems like very Michael Bay. And I feel like he'd shifted around a little. He would probably cast uh, Mark Wahlberg instead of Greg Kinnear. And I, that's a definite improvement. Double thumbs up on that one. I think so, that's so a wait, then who's the lead? Who's Ricky Gervais? Is it The Rock or? Oh, I mean, if we're giving, yeah. So it, if if we're doing Michael Bay at peak career, yes. Oh, the Rock is the Rock is going to put on sixty five pounds of muscle 
to play like a depressed dentist who does, who has no earthly connections to any people. Uh, and also I think that movie would, every movie would be better with the rock in it. I would watch Mordecai too, if they added the rock to it. Yeah. If jock strap, which by the way is the character's full name, looked it up from both IMDb and in the books, his name is jock strap. Uh, Paul Bettany he... character in Mordecai, if I should clarify. Yes. I don't think anyone knows anything about Mordecai, so I'm going to try <laughs> to take that with a grain of salt with this. Okay. Uh, sorry, I'm very excited about this. But yeah, Paul Bettany's character, Jacques Strap, uh, if that was played by Dwayne the Jacques Johnson, um, I, I would be so much more into this movie, and I'm already very into it. Yeah, I don't even think it's Jacques, like Frere Jacques. I think it's Jacques, like football player, basketball player, varsity jacket, Jacques. It's spelled J-O-C-K, so. Yeah. Yeah, Jockstrap. Maybe maybe the material they they, uh, adapted it from is uh, not totally up to par. Well, it was one of three movies, or three books. It was a trilogy of books. So just think, if this movie was successful... We, we would have had a trilogy. All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more high end film, more Dave Byrne and more Mordecai after this. In the mood for another poorly reviewed heist comedy featuring funny facial hair. Then we've got the movie for you. 2016's masterminds from the director of Napoleon dynamite comes a true story of a Jacksonville bank heist and its aftermath. Zach Galifianakis plays against type as a passive, easily manipulated man who is coerced into helping rob a bank by petty thieves. Starring a dream team comedic cast, the real crime is wasting their talents. Masterminds, get stupid rich. Not to be confused with the 1997 Vincent Carthizer vehicle. And we're back. High on film talking Mordecai with sound guy Dave Byrne today. Oh boy, what a treat to be back slumming it in bad movie territory with sound guy dave and here it is the full discussion of mordecai this the spoiler riddled talk we're about to have known as scene work of course if it wasn't already apparent we are an optimistic podcast and that means we're starting things up off optimistically with best scene uh we rank these now three two one What's the third best scene in Mordecai? We'll do this uh, round robin style. Uh, all right. Well, for me, the third best scene, is, I'm going to be probably speaking a little broader in all my scene stuff. Uh, the third best part of this movie, I think, is the cast. It is a stacked cast with uh, Depp aside, uh Gwyneth Paltrow, Paul Bettany, Ewan McGregor. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, Olivia Munn. It is a stack cast. And I'm going to particularly call out Gwyneth Paltrow. I think if this movie focused more on her, and I'll go into this a little more in, in worse scene, but I, I, I think she was actually pretty good in this movie. And I think she works very well as this character in the world of investigation and, and like investigating if this was an, a more straightforward movie she would be a very she would have been a very good lead character for a movie like that and i was more interested in her because she was playing it more straight than certainly johnny depp was and i think it worked for her character better so i actually enjoyed gwyneth paltrow uh in this movie and was hoping it would kind of follow her i wish it would follow her more than certainly him I love that your first uh, option for best scene has a caveat that's included in worst scenes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. A little no, bit. I mean, very appropriate for this movie. But I agree. The, the names in this cast list are pretty impressive, and they all do a pretty decent job. All things considered. Dave, what's your three? Um, so my third best scene is the fight in the auction house. I'm, I'm a sucker for a fight scene. It comes very late in the movie, so you also know things are wrapping up, and that's always a plus when you're watching Mordecai. Um, but it's, I thought it was fairly well put together. It's fairly well choreographed. And like uh, at this point, basic level of execution filmmaking is going to get you into the number three best scene slot in Mordecai. <laughs> uh, for me, actually, so this one here, I, I have it in a scene, but 
it's it's when it's a little moment actually is when Johnny Depp as Charlie Mordecai touches the cactus of the elevator in the hotel the standard here in, in Hollywood uh, and he like because he's so unfamiliar with Los Angeles I don't know why that's a bit but when he touches the cactus and pricks it he's like ow like I really just thought it was funny and just a I actually believed his character at that point for a brief moment in time. And it led into him going into the elevator, which he has this ridiculous mustache that everyone is ragging on him from the moment the movie starts to the moment the movie ends about rightfully so. But of course, because it is a little bit of a style in America to have a lot of uh, facial hair for men right now, especially like styled up in handlebar or mutton chops or what have you. A lot of these, you know, (laughs) Uh, millennials get on the the elevator with him with various degrees of of elaborate facial hair and he's looking around like what is this place where no one's where all these people have these mustaches that that's all he wants like his his main want in this whole movie is just to keep his fucking mustache which is again a problem but here's the one scene where it actually paid off for me (laughs) But it's it's all a microcosm of the one thing that actually gets me about this movie is that I'm just kind of impressed, just a little impressed that they actually all their stupid little jokes eventually come around and pay off. As bad as some of the payoffs are, as as weird as the you know confusion or the clue is earlier on, uh, and obscure or as bad of a joke as it is it they all come around and pay off and i'm just like well there's no loose ends i guess okay i buy that too we'll get into this i think more on the other side of things but yes i understand what you're saying lots of caveats of we'll talk about this again and worse scene <laughs> so much podcasts left let's get to best scene number two for me best scene number two is the Gwyneth Paltrow, Ewan McGregor dinner scene. Or lunch. Or lunch, I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it's when they're meeting. Ewan McGregor's in love with Gwyneth Paltrow, even though it's Mordecai's wife. And Gwyneth Paltrow in this movie is trying to um, solve the case as well and is using the fact that he's in love with her to her advantage. And this is, it's probably because Depp's not in the scene. This is the one scene in the movie where I actually found there to be uh, witty dialogue like they go back and forth they kind of have a nice back and forth their chemistry's good and they're you know she makes a joke about uh you know them having an affair and do you think anybody would find out no no one would ever find out oh then what's the point of it and it, it's just this very you know kind of his girl friday type banter that's giving it maybe a little too much credit but it, it, it was one of the scenes in the movie i actually enjoyed like from kind of tip to tail I'm, I'm with you. It's it's the one scene where the comedy actually succeeds, I feel like. Because they're both playing it relatively straight. Yeah, more or less. There is the point. I do love it. I mean, it may be my favorite singular moment of this film is when Ewan McGregor has the bravado over the Chardonnay. When she's like, oh, you're... I'm sorry, you shouldn't be drinking. You're you're on the clock. And he's like, on the clock, but in charge about having a glass of Chardonnay at lunch. It's really funny. It was uh, my single moment of like pure joy in this film. What's your number two, Dave? Um, so my number two, the very last scene in the bathtub with discussing what the future of the, the, the Mordecai's uh, is, and I, I mean, maybe some of this is colored because I did. So I did. I stopped this movie multiple times, not to like take a break, but to just be like, how much longer do I have? I did the same thing. And uh, so maybe I'm partially colored by that when I paused it in the bathtub scene. And I was like, oh, sweet. They're not setting up another thing. This this is it. I thought he was going to shave the mustache. Spoiler alert. He doesn't. Uh, but I like what you guys were saying about the lunch scene, I thought that the only time that there was any like believable chemistry relationship between Gwyneth Paltrow and Johnny Depp, Johanna and Charlie Mordecai uh, was in like the very end. And it it wasn't even like, Oh wow, there's heat coming off the screen. No, it was just like, yeah, sure. If I passed these two in a restaurant, 
it would be weird that they were in a bathtub, but I would believe that they were married to each other. It's it's just like one scene that's not terrible between them when every other instance is one or the other just being like purposefully mean and dismissive in ways that aren't don't factor into plot in any way. Like when they're separated, they care about each other. And when they're on screen together, they just cannot put up with this absolute crazy person who they're married to. I'm going to save my rebuttal for that for uh, the next half segment. Uh, (laughs) And I'm going to tell you my number two is actually the semi car chase. It's, it's only really one car uh, when there's, they're in like the, the soft top and there's a hole in the top of the car and Emil, one of our main bad guys, uh, Mordecai, Johnny Depp and Paul Bettany, who plays jock are literally (laughs) jocking, for position in the car. They're switching seats from passenger seat to driver's seat to outside the car, to the hood of the car, to the back seat. And it's really well choreographed for a little mini action scene. It's really fun. Uh, The way the physicality works, especially Paul Bettany, who's like a thuggish real, like the, the muscle for Mordecai. Um, I I think he does a pretty good job here. I I think Emil, uh, Johnny Peslovsky is, is really good. And yeah, I just thought it was uh, really fun. And again, like a little, uh, uh, a microcosm of what what does work for this movie. Where it's like the, the action scenes are somewhat decent. Let me tell, let me say, let me phrase it this way. A more tolerable part of the movie. The, I, I like the car scene a lot too. I thought it was a clever way to keep shifting who's the driver. And, you know, that game of musical chairs in a way was well choreographed. So I'll... Uh, I'll give you that one. Okay, guys. Well, uh, that leaves us. What is the singular, the your number one best scene of Mordecai? I'm a little embarrassed to say, because I, I think this is even in the trailer. I think I saw it before, but the little bit that Johnny Depp, Mordecai always manages to shoot Jock. And when he acts, when he actually shoots him with the shotgun and like blows him away, I laugh. I out loud laugh at it it's a physical comedy joke it's cheap but i laughed at it and the fact that i laughed at anything in this movie i had to give it its due paul bettany gets the full uh daffy duck treatment where it just goes full straight like gun to <laughs> shotgun to the chest and just folds and flies off screen and i i do like that bit that then it, it comes back later we don't really get a third time though and i was kind of bummed out for the rule of three in the one bit that's kind of funny enough, like, Oh, the guy who does never uses a gun always manages to shoot the guy who's protecting him. It's, it had more promise. It, it's a better bit in something else than it is in this. If used properly, but I enjoyed it. I laughed. I'll say mine. We've already covered Brad. It was your number two. It's the Gwyneth Paltrow and Evan, Ewan McGregor lunch. Uh, you're you're spot on. It's witty dialogue. It's this is the one scene that I did think was successful in in its comedic aspirations. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love you and McGregor in it. Like he he plays so eager when she's like, "Do you think I should have an affair?" And he's like, "Yes." <laughs> like and just like just jumping on on it. It's so funny and the Chardonnay is great. It's the one time the comedy succeeds for me, and I, I really just loved it. Uh, it was it was the, a nice bright spot here, Dave. Number one, number one. Not on anybody else's list. The recap scene. I rewound and watched the recap two more times because I had no fucking idea what was going on in the plot of this movie, and it only made sense when they were like, oh, here's a bunch of scenes that weren't in the movie you just watched. Let's go through them real quick. And I had to be like, when we oh, go back in time and we see Jeff Goldblum again? Yes, we see Jeff and, Goldblum, yeah. and then we reveal that, uh, that Crump's nymphomaniac daughter, who goes like 15 or 20 minutes without a name. Um, yeah, Olivia Munn's like, character, Georgina. Yeah. Um, eventually Georgina, but for a while in the movie, just Crump's nymphomaniac daughter. When they go back and they like explain that the whole thing was actually a triple cross of a double cross, like that to me, I was like, oh, all right. 
maybe the rest of the earlier parts of this movie make any sense now. I haven't gone back and watched it. I don't believe they do. But at least it gave me that impression that there was a thread to be followed within the movie. Um, and again, we're giving out ease for effort here. Uh, this is... Yeah. The, the fact that they made a movie is something to be cherished. Agree to disagree. So... <laughs> It's not bad because it's the first time you feel that they actually have control of the movie as well. Like you, you don't feel like you're just like aimlessly just going, even though I will say I paused it around then. And I was like, 45 minutes still left. How, how? (laughs) All right, guys. Well, if there's a best scene, you know, that means there's a worse scene. What are our bottom three worst scenes in Mordecai? I know there's a lot to choose from, but let's start with number three. Number three for me is Depp. I'll I'll say his voiceover as part of it because the voiceover is worthless. His accent is just so broad and over the top. And he doesn't, for a movie that is so, is trying so hard to be a comedy, he doesn't understand the concept of kind of what I was saying with Gwyneth Paltrow and Ewan McGregor of like playing it straight. You're playing it to reality. When you play it to reality, that's when the comedy works. And he does not play anything to reality in this movie. It's all just caricature, broad stroke stuff that doesn't work. Yeah. He's Jack Sparrowing it up. Yeah. And even less and less interesting. Uh, And this is obviously his trick at this point. It's been that way for years. The Alice in Wonderland, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, whatever. This is what he does. But particularly in this movie that is really trying to be a comedy, like a slapstick comedy in a lot of ways. He, You get a better actor in there, a off the top of my head, a Will Ferrell, somebody like that. This movie is uh, has the potential to do a lot better because you're at least getting better per, better comedic performance in the stuff you're trying to do. Yeah, make it a young Hercule Poirot. And honestly, it, it plays better. Cut Johnny Depp and just let Gwyneth Paltrow do the whole thing. And I, I, Her I, name is also Mordecai. She she can still be the titular character. If, <laughs> if you made the if they made this a straight movie, didn't try to make it a comedy, made the whole art um made the whole art uh robbery plot better and just had Audrey Heist. Yeah, the heist better and had Gwyneth Paltrow be the lead who's investigating it. This movie could have been pretty good and it's not. My number three is my bathroom rebuttal. Uh, The bathroom scene rebuttal or bathtub, I should say. I just, it was so bad. I mean, the fact that we, of course, we spent the last minutes of this film talking about the fucking mustache on Johnny Depp's face. But my big problem is that so the whole movie long, we're watching Gwyneth Paltrow not be able to kiss him without having a gag reflex, which then triggers Johnny Depp's gag reflex because he can't, like me, he cannot like really tolerate puking and things like that. It just makes me like want to throw up as well. So they can't kiss really at all throughout the whole movie. And every time they do, she gags, he gags, ha ha ha, not a funny gag. But somehow now in the final scene... They do this fake out where she's like, okay, I don't want you to shave it, which she's wanted to shave it the whole movie, which now she just doesn't for no reason. And then kisses him like for a considerable amount of time without gagging, talks about it afterwards. And then the final gag is a gag. And I just, I hate that because the fake out can't work if we have no reason to believe it or understand it. And there was nothing set up to say that she would change her mind about the mustache or that she was medically cured of this weird gag reflex about kissing a man with a mustache. And I just, it, it, it keeps me the whole time being like, well, why would this happen? I don't get it. And then they're like, oh, tricked you. She was just pl- holding it in as long as she could. And it's just like, well, I don't, I just have a problem with that. Like you, you didn't trick me. I was skeptical of it the entire way. And it just feels lazy and dumb. Which is, again, a microcosm for this whole movie. <laughs> um, so, Chris, as someone with, uh, to quote our titular hero, a sympathetic gag reflex. Um, uh, yeah, I worked on impressions. I'm going to use them. Yeah, good. 
Okay, I, as usual, uh, over-prepared for worst scene, uh, and I am going to gimmick it up. Um, for those of you not on the Zoom call, I have a dice tower and a six-sided die, because I have six worst scenes, not three. <laughs> and we're going to go at random. Okay, number two um, is the party at Krampf's house. Generally, that whole party doesn't need to exist, especially because... You know, to bring the audience up to speed, this is when we reveal that Cramp's daughter is the one who uh, has been trying to steal the painting and, uh, you know, double crosses her father. The lost Goya. Um, The lost Goya. The last can of Goya at the supermarket. With stolen Nazi gold Swedish bank accounts written on the back, we should add. Um, So this is where we reveal that and they have this huge party so they can have a huge distraction and uh, and get everybody out. The betrayal happens so close to him that you don't need a giant party. That you just have all these extras and this ice sculpture and this buffet as set dressing that offers nothing. Well, I think it's also like a, a trope fulfillment as well, right? Like, oh, if you're doing these high class art forge high art uh, forgery movies, you have to have a gala. Yeah, and like. The painting's not on display. It will be later, but it's not now. There's all these things where it doesn't need to exist, but it does. And for that, it's one of my six worst scenes. I like it. I love the way you're rolling the worst scenes at random because of how many there are. (laughs) It's so hard to choose. They're like my children. Once a dungeon master, always a dungeon master. All right. What's worst scene number two? Worst scene number two is the... It's the whole mustache thing. We've talked about it a, a decent amount. <laughs> the amount that the mustache is a focal point of this movie, and, and I'll break it down to the fact that a big, the B-plot of this movie is that Gwyneth Paltrow and Mordecai are in a fight. They're, they're, they're in a fight, not because they're losing all their money, not for all these other reasons. It's because he won't shave his mustache. It's because he grew this mustache that we don't, you know, he just grew it recently when he comes back from a trip. And now because of that, they are in a fight that's putting their you know marriage on the line and that being such a huge plot in this movie while borderline impressive that they managed to get this much story out of a fucking mustache i i have to put it on the worst my top three worst just because it's so outlandish it was shocking halfway through i i mean that i was like i think we've probably had 10 minutes of literal, literal 10 minutes of screen time dedicated just to the mustache. I think the final count might be 20 to 30 minutes of this movie screen time is absolutely dedicated to mustache talk. 25 minutes into watching this movie, I texted you. And I was like, I can't believe how much mustache material is already in this movie. We have over an hour left of this movie and it's been, I don't know, a quarter of it, a third of it at that point. It's, bonkers i'll never sit through this movie again but if i do i'm doing with a stopwatch and i am stopping and starting every time they talk about a mustache because i bet i swear to god it's 20 minutes Half the movie. All yeah it's, it's insane it could be more <laughs> yeah dave what's your worst scene number two what are, what are the dice hold for us well uh let, let's find out so my worst scene was actually mentioned in best scene the hotel west hollywood standard <laughs> oh yes he stays at the standard not necessary. And then he's confused by a key card in the hotel. He's supposed to be an English aristocrat. Like, am I supposed to believe he's never stayed at a hotel that had anything other than like one of those skeleton keys on a ring with a big card on it? Like, do they have a a, a keyboard at every hotel he's ever stayed at? This is not an exclusively American thing. The fact that he thinks it's a hotel, uh, it's a credit card to get into his hotel room obscene when he's in the hotel room and he hears people having like loud vigorous sex and he's so annoyed that he calls the other hotel room directly which like can you do that i don't think so that can't be legal and it used to be you used to be able to connect hotel rooms i don't know if you still can this thing seems like it was written 40 years ago and it was just put in a movie in 2015 um the other part of it is he himself gives us in a voiceover explanation the the fact that Jock Strap 
is a, a male nymphomaniac that he he can't turn down sex. He finds someone to have sex with everywhere he goes. That when he's like, oh, my jock strap is stand is staying one room apart from me, and someone is having this like loud, vigorous sex. Who could it be? Of Let course, me it's jock. Call that person. What? What? Yeah, so all of it is just insane, um, and I hate it, and even the dumbest person in existence would have figured it out in the first six seconds of it happening in real life. Um, but it takes Mordecai several minutes of tossing and turning in bed. Well, I'll uh, I'll continue number two going w- in the same direction. Is My number two is the character of Georgina. Olivia Munn's character is uh, paper thin. She is described as a nymphomaniac. And that is, I, there's no other motivation. No other motivation. There's not a drop of regret or understanding why she is heartless about her own father's death. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, which which happens in the movie. She is barely given anything to do other than be groped by Johnny Depp in this film. And it's, again, just a, a small part of what I don't like about this film is the ribaldry is so awkward and terrible. There's so many sex jokes in this movie. There's so much sexual humor and sexual wordplay. And it's only funny because of how unfunny it is and how hard it feels like they're trying. Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, Georgina is, is pinnacle that problem for me. Oh yeah. And, and they set it up and they also set up this drama of like, like one can Mordecai resist. And then he eventually says that he tried to not resist and, and he wasn't able to, cause he loved his wife so much. So like, don't set that up then. But also, oh, what if her father comes by? And then her father is just like, oh yeah, take a spare bed. Go at it. Whatever. Well, and ultimately oh, yeah, they just bad. use it to fuel the fire of the the mustache problem between Gwyneth and Depp. And yeah. be like, oh, look, he's going to cheat on you. Even though she doesn't, she doesn't even believe it in the moment that he's cheating on her. It's terrible. Okay. It's terrible. It, it really is. It's so bad. And they really milk it for all it's worth, which is nothing to begin with. All right. Well, here it is. Moment of truth. The number one, the worst scene in Mordecai. What do we have? Dave, you want to start it off with the dice? Oh, sure. Um, okay. Let's, let's see what the dice bring us. So I was hoping I would get this one. Uh, the scene after he gets kicked out, after Charlie Mordecai gets kicked out of Mordecai Manor, and goes into the guest house, which is apparently where Jacques lives. This comes up in another... I'm going to keep pronouncing it the way that I assume it should be pronounced, not the way they pronounce it. So I'm not sure if this has come up on the podcast before. I am a fan of professional wrestling. And I understand that a lot of it is really bad. There is some good of it out there. But they picked, like, one of the worst eras of mainstream professional wrestling... At a time when in England there was like good, interesting, dynamic professional wrestling locally that would sell their rights for nothing to get the exposure of being in a film. There were probably people calling them and being like, hey, would you please put World of Sport in your film? Cut to anything for them to be like, oh, we're watching a junkie movie. But no, it it has to be one of the worst wrestling matches I've ever seen. Sheamus versus Big Show, and I think that match was from, from 2013 or 2014-ish. Uh, and it's just like... That makes sense for when they made the movie. Brad, you got a number one for us. Uh, yeah, for me, it's... I know I've talked about this already, but it's all of their attempts, all these little comedy bits they're trying to do throughout the movie where Jock's on the plane and it's cold and he literally has like icicles on him. They're uh, the whole balls thing. The guy who wants to fry everybody's balls with a battery. Dimitri, the Russian thug who's obsessed with testicles. Obsessed with testicles. Um, The, uh, you know, all of the mustache stuff, obviously. Chris, you touched on some of it too. Like there's there's such an attempt in this movie at making this like a slapstick comedy. It is not funny. And that's... The biggest problem with this movie for me is all of this attempt at humor that just 97% of it falls totally flat. 
Yeah, there's even uh, they, you know the the shellfish that everyone gets the runs from, and which why was that poison to begin with? Why poison the shellfish? No clue. The smelly cheese, like it just all why have a cabinet of rotting cheeses? None of it yeah. works. It's all bad. It's all just like bullshit. Feel that feels like it was thrown in after the fact to try something that was written by a you know a high school student. It was, it's a dull pain to watch this movie from start to finish. It is just, it's dumb and lazy. Uh, and that being said, my number one, my worst scene is, I guess, the first reveal at the, the climax of Jeff Goldblum's Hollywood party, where, oh my God, Jeff Goldblum's been killed by Emil. Emil now has the painting, what they think is the real painting. Uh, and then, what is it? Mordecai has climbed up a ladder to get in here. Somehow, Jock also has followed him up the ladder. And after all their trouble of getting into this room, Gwyneth Paltrow and Olivia Munn just stroll in and are also there. And then Ewan McGregor also just strolls in. And you're like, you are in London. Why are you now in Los Angeles? And it's just so lazy. There's no reason for any of these people to be in this room. It's so thrown together. Uh, And then they do this thing where, oh, there's no Swiss bank account codes for the nazi gold on the back of that one well mordecai you and i both know that's not true (gasps) but how well invisible ink of course invisible fucking ink (laughs) and And it's just also turns out to not be true (laughs) it's it it was just so for for uh the first bit of reveals like this is first where you feel the movie finally coming together and like i said sense that it has some control of the story it's trying to tell and it's just so slapdash together it it drove me insane and it also has it's supposed to have this tense feeling to it like a standoff type feel there is no tension whatsoever it is nobody is none of the actors are putting effort into it it's not staged well it's not filmed interesting there's no score there to like build what this they're like trying to make this be it's a bad scene that's a that's a really good choice oh why thank you yeah it's i i felt that scene i was like this is supposed to be tense and it is uh, those standoff scenes always almost without a doubt have that tension just naturally and that one had none and Extra negative points for killing Jeff Goldblum after half a scene. What a way. Were they trying to Drew Barrymore scream the thing? I I don't understand. Uh, Because it wasn't a shock, really, as much as it was. All right, guys. Well, that's scene work. Congratulations. I think we built a pretty movie. A movie. It's a movie. movie. Definitely a movie. We built a pretty movie. Not this one. A different one. You'll never get to see it, audience. Oh, for sure. The one where Gwyneth Paltrow is the lead and there is no Johnny Depp, but it's taken a little more seriously. But it's now time for our second favorite podcast game of the show. (laughs) That's right. It's time for Milking It. The second favorite podcast game of the show where we are going to manipulate everything we found in this movie, Mordecai, its title, its characters, its plot lines, uh, whatever you'd like to take from this movie and uh, change it into a brand new movie, a title and a quick summary of what that movie will be under two parameters supplied to us by the big computer of Hollywood Ideas 2000. The first thing it'll give us will be a the way to look at this film either a genre an actor or a director in which to center the the new film around or a genre in which to to manipulate it to bend it to its will it'll also provide us with a pitch time either a 30 second elevator pitch one american minute for the water cooler pitch or 90 seconds for the executive boardroom pitch to get your the entirety of your idea out to the executives before they walk away or slam a door in your face or say you'll never work in this town again. So let's get the big computer out here and fire her up and see what she has for us today. All right, got the results here. 
Oh, Dave, it looks like that the computer has you going first. You're going to be doing the elevator pitch, Ooh. 30 seconds. And you will be remaking Mordecai oh, around America's sweetheart, Julia Roberts. All right. Can't wait. I mean, anything would be an improvement, but. Sure. And we should note uh, for the actor cards here, uh, they don't necessarily have to play the main character. They can play whoever you'd like, but the movie would have to revolve around them. They do have to be, it has to be their star vehicle. For your new film. Brad Davis, your second, my friend, one American minute for the water cooler pitch. Okay. Get your Dixie cup ready because you also got an actor card. Oh, she was in last week's movie, Black Hat, and she's going to be in Mordecai. Brad Davis, meet Viola Davis. Ah, great. One of the best. One of the best. There you go. Of course, he gets his cousin. Yep. Cousin Viola. Hey, family. Uh, rightfully and highly commended for her performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, now streaming on Netflix. So good. Uh, that leaves me for the boardroom pitch. 90 seconds, a minute and a half. Well, th- well, this is unprecedented. Another actor card. Woo! Oh. Yeah. And uh, this is very exciting. He He's everywhere. Maybe one of the biggest movie stars in the world. I'm doing Mordecai starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yes. Yes. Yep. That's great. All right. We're going to take a few minutes to gather our thoughts and we'll be back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment in two seconds. And we're back. Here we are right in the middle of milking it. Three brand new movies just like I promised. Dave... You are up with the elevator pitch starring Ms. Julia Roberts. Are you ready, sir? As ready as I'm going to get. All right. The elevator doors are closing and go ahead. Okay. So my pitch is that we completely reboot Mordecai starring Julia Roberts as the titular now Charlotte Mordecai. Keep Gwyneth Paltrow as her wife and the running jokes about her mustache, which now will actually be funny. Um, uh, (laughs) She's down on our luck. It's basically uh, Aaron Brockovich meets, meets Ocean's 12. Um, and she has a lady servant whose name is Gigi, Gigi String. Um, she has to solve an art heist in order to get her fortune back and keep the woman she loves. Basically the same movie, just throw Julia Roberts in and I think it would be fantastic. And we can reverse all the puns. Excellent. And your title? Oh, just Mrs. Mordecai. Mrs. Mordecai. Keep, when in doubt, keep it simple. There you go. Fair philosophy. It's a good philosophy. This movie could have benefited from that philosophy many times over, but... Correct. All right, Brad. The water cooler pitch. One American minute. 60 seconds on the clock. Ms. Viola Davis starring in your film. You got your Dixie cup ready? Fill it up with water because here comes the executive. Ready to go. Go ahead. Viola Davis is Joanna Mordecai. She is brought in to help on an art theft case after not having uh, taken one of these cases in a while. We follow her through the investigation and see her style of talking to witnesses and kind of playing coy at first and, you know, lulling them into a false sense of uh, superiority and then attacking kind of Columbo style. Uh, Her husband tries to help, but messes up and winds up dead. Now, Morde- now Joanna Mordecai is determined more than ever to find out who's behind this. It turns out in the end, her husband faked his death and had been stealing the painting to pay off his unknown back taxes that nobody knew about. But in the end, she catches him, and in an unfortunate moment, she has to shoot him in order to save herself. And the movie title, I, <laughs> I had Mordecai for an eye, but because... <laughs> Because of, oh no, you didn't change. That's what I have. Because it's a Viola Davis movie, I actually don't think that title works as well. But because that was my best title, I went with it. Like truly, it would probably be called like Joanna or something. But Mordecai for an eye had to be done. Yeah, I don't blame you one bit. In fact, I commend you for it. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't totally fit a viola davis movie uh, because it comes off as like a play uh, almost a loaded weapon one type title 
but I had to do it. Great job. Great job, buddy. Okay, that leaves me. I'm still on the elevator going up to the top floor into the boardroom, into the executive suite. A minute and a half to do Mordecai Starr and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Here we go. Bring it. All right, I know we've been looking for a new vehicle for Dwayne The Rock Johnson for a while, so how about this? Dwayne The Rock will be cast as Dwayne the Jock. The world-renowned muscle for famous uh, high art con man Charlie Mordecai. He gets paid well, plenty of women, lives the high life while his boss assesses rare art. And when Mordecai gets into trouble, of course, Jock is there to bail him out. Until the case of the missing Goya comes around. Once Jock views this rare and fabled painting, it changes something inside him. His worldview expands. He becomes a more empathetic person. But his boss plans to fool all the art collectors, raise their bids, take their money and the painting and disappear. Jock can't let this happen. That painting has changed him, and it should have the opportunity to change others. It belongs in a museum, Jock mutters before delivering the final blow in an epic fight with his now villainous employer. I quit, he says. Joanna jumps into his arms, compliments his clean-shaven face, and they're off into the sunset and on to their next adventure in Jock of All Trades. (laughs) (laughs) Great title. Yeah. Sticks the landing. Thank you. And you know, half the reviews on the internet are going to be calling it the rock of all trades. Uh, oh, absolutely. Built in on creative marketing right there that you can pin on somebody else. Fantastic. And we're finally getting that Mordecai trilogy with with putting this with him at the front and center of it. Finally. We've been waiting. Finally. We've been waiting long Next enough. Next year's skyscraper. <laughs> well, guys, congratulations. We just sold three movies out to Hollywood to make them a billion more dollars for the studio system. Yes. Oh, that was easy. What's everybody always complaining about? Exactly. I know. Hollywood is so simple. It's just that simple. And that's the end of the show, guys. We just have one last thing to do. And that's Brad Davis. You just watched Mordecai. What are you going to do next? I want to watch a good art heist movie. So I'm going to watch uh, Thomas Crown Affair, the Pierce Brosnan uh, uh, Rene Russo movie. Rene Russo. Yeah, it is a clever, fun little caper film. And I've also never seen the original, which is more of a bank heist movie, I believe, but uh, which I should watch as well. Uh, but yeah, it put me in the mood. So there you go. Dave Byrne, you just watched Mordecai. What are you going to do next? Oh, well, so once you light the fuse on obtuse, completely unexplainable mystery, um, I need to finish it out. And that's going to lead me to my current Netflix addiction, which is uh, Quantico, Um, a absolutely ridiculous thriller that wraps up its mystery every three episodes with yet another red herring. Something that you saw a lot in, uh, in Mordecai, red herrings on top of red herrings. So yeah, that's uh season two of quantico here i come i laid off for a while but getting a little taste in mordecai really set me right back (laughs) chris you just watched mordecai what are you gonna do next oh in all honesty i'm i'm thirsting for some good movies and thankfully i have a lot of 2020 homework left to do Uh, i'm trying to get my best of the year list compiled and uh, yeah, I still have a handful of films I want to see. So I have to finish out the Small Axe films on Amazon Prime. I, I have already knocked out three out of five of those. I'm very excited for more. Hopefully I can get my hands on Promising Young Woman and One Night in Miami before too long. Uh, Shit House, I hear, is great. Has big Linklater vibes. So, you know, that's up my alley. A uh, whole bunch of stuff. A uh, couple more titles I still want to check out. In addition to Minari and Nomadland, which we're never going to be able to see until like February or March, which... Is- uh, 2020 <laughs> yep that's that's the real that was the real it is if we were having the oscars at the regular time and movie theaters would have been open the whole time i would have seen nomad land and minari by now i know i'm bummed and out that is the biggest tragedy of 2020 listen we're all mad about different things it's all okay <laughs> all right uh that and i'm also going to let the listeners know that they should strap in because this January dump was a new January tradition for us, but fear not, we're about to enter our classic January tradition. We have a duo of McConuary episodes coming up for you in the next two weeks. So I am, um, I'm beside myself excited for this year's McConuary, uh, and I hope you are too. So look forward to that. Gentlemen, anything to plug? At BD Always GP on Twitter and Instagram and Death at Sunset still available. Our radio play sunshine noir please check it out 
two seasons available wherever podcasts are heard. Uh, and I'm at Cross Maxwell across your social media accounts. Dave, thank you so much for doing the show, buddy. <laughs> thank you guys so much. I'm at Pretty Sound Guy uh, on Twitter. I genuinely hope we've brought a number of new people to watching Mordecai. When we knew we were going to watch Mordecai, <laughs> we thought Dave Byrne. All right, listeners, we love you. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. That was as bad as they say. That's why the party was so important. To provide a good experience around a bad movie. Bet you wish we had that cheese and shellfish buffet right now, huh? Would you stop it with that? I just want one or the other. Ugh. I'm so glad we're done with January dumps. I'm gonna go shave my mustache. High on Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions podcast. Original music by Zach Pfeiffer. For more information, follow at High on Film on Twitter and Instagram or email the show at thehighonfilmshow at gmail.com.